fondos que disse coisa psychologically viewed dramatically in the 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 eerie and uncanny invasion of one person's world by another person's world that if I invade your world you will probably sense something alien entering your world because my world is different from yours and if you're if you're strong you will fight it you must you must of course fight it. I mean you should fight it Dickheads, I got pink laser beam of truth beaming straight from the Alpha 3 M2 Supreme Council Room to your brain hole. I am your co-host, David Agronoff, representing the pairs, and today representing the obcoms. You can't assign me my own group. I'm a pair. That's some bullshit. Representing pairs, obcoms, in-depths is me, <laughs> Anthony Trevino. And representing the Hebes? Yeah, I'm... <clears throat> I'm I'm a I'm Langhorn J Tweed. Yeah, and he is on it. Today. And uh, and Anthony, you also represent the man's. That's so. fair, true. I, <laughs> wow, I, am I just representative of every mental illness out there? Probably no, a, a good portion. So, well, I'm not a skits. Yeah. at least in term, dick term, dickian terms. All right, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Welcome to the Dickheads Podcast. Uh, today we. Hi, hi. We will be talking, obviously, about the clans of the Alphane Moon. But before that, we have uh, a few updates and some PKD news. Uh, namely, the uh, Philip K. Dick Festival happened in Colorado, and one of us was there. Anthony. I sent my simulacrum to the PKD Festival in uh, scenic Fort Morgan, Colorado. Um, <laughs> it was a cool little place. It reminded me a little bit of our own hometown uh town here ramona um mm. yeah so i sent my simulacrum to the pkd festival unfortunately i feel like missing thursday was a big deal because i think there were more things happening on thursday than there were friday saturday overall it was really cool it was a very interesting way to see a bunch of people really come together over the love of dick's work spent some time with tessa dick cameron mitchell david hyde uh, the latter, the two I mentioned, are the festival organizers, and met some really, really cool people. And got some interviews. And got some interviews, primarily the most notable one uh, done with Tessa Dick, uh, with the help of uh, Jason Bosch of <clears throat> sorry 303-6030-360 Media. I'm on one today, you guys, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, um, helped coordinate because he had really great equipment. So shout out to Jason Bosch. He's a really awesome dude. And Yay. I met two of his really awesome friends, Christine and Tony. Christine, who I would later like to have on the podcast, um, to discuss kind of, uh, precognition and Dick's work. Cool. As well as how mental illness is represented in Dick's, um, representative, represented in Dick's protagonist. Um, wow, which really has a lot to do with this book. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that sounds really cool, Anthony. I'm really, uh, glad you were able to make it. And, and we'll, we'll have a, uh, 
an in-depth interview with Anthony for Patreon. Oh, okay. Anyways, um, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff uh, that you can support us on our Patreon. And uh, we think it's really important because we have a lot of different things we're paying for. Subscriptions, memberships, and uh, let's keep the lights going at Dickhead's podcast. And we appreciate all the support. Thanks. Um, So in PKD news, there's not a lot, as there tends not to be when you've been dead since 1982. But... We do have, uh, there was one really cool article in the LA Times about the Fullerton Library's Philip K. Dick archives. Which we are going to. Yeah, and we are def- we've already put in a request to go ourselves. Uh, this is something we've been talking about long before the article, but the article gave us a big kick in the butt to make it happen sooner. So I, there were some really cool things in, in the article that I thought highlighted. You know, so some of the things that are going on there, um, collections, the collection includes a lot of his original manuscripts and stuff, and it'll be really cool to get a look at it. I know, Larry, you read that article. Uh, is there anything yeah. that jumped out to you? Um, not so much. Currently, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, we've been talking about the PKD papers for so long, but when I went to their website, the library's website, I found out they had Frank Herbert papers and... <clears throat> And who else do they? Uh, Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury. Papers. He just had his 99th birthday yesterday. Yeah, and, and so I'm I'm super enthused to go there and check out all that stuff. Yeah, especially yeah. the PKD stuff. But and it'll be fun because all three of us can go. Yeah, yeah. group trip. Yeah, so uh, look forward to that. We're gonna try to get some interviews with the archivist and you know some extra bonus materials for everybody not just geek out for ourselves although we are going to do that <laughs> um so one thing that was interesting that also came out is one of the big film geek sites screen rant just did its uh top 10 philip k dick adaptations list really yeah and so this includes i think they they counted electric dreams as one one item one entity yeah so just to give you guys a rundown paycheck was number 10 next with nicholas cage was inexplicably number nine Uh, i don't know how that could even be included on the list number eight the adjustment bureau (laughs) anthony how do you feel about that i don't (laughs) feel great about it but i you're gonna i don't even know how next ended up on this list it's like the it's on this list just because they had to pull more dick adaptations. No one next is not on any list that's positive, but this one, and I'm pretty sure it's because it ran <laughs> yeah. out of stuff to pick. Yeah, right. And uh, at number seven is inexplicable too that it's so far back as Screamers because I think we all believe that that's much better. Yeah. Uh, number six, Man in the High Castle. Oh, what number was Screamers? Oh, seven. Seven. Yeah. Oh, man. And uh, I love Screamers. Num- number six is Man in the High Castle, which I believe as the person who's made it through season two is starting to get better um but at a certain point i feel like it diverts from the book yeah entirely diverts from entirely diverts from the book um i will be watching season three at some point here soon but um hot take i think that one of these is better than the number one choice yeah number five is electric dreams number four minority report Screamers is better than Minority Report. Yeah, I, I will. I will stand with you on that one. Yeah, Thanks. we all agree on that. Uh, three is Scanner Darkly, which I personally think might be higher. 
Um, number two, Total Recall, and number one, Blade Runner, which I think the top ones. I think a Scanner Darkly is a better adaptation than Blade Runner. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, it's, it's a better just, adaptation. Yeah, not necessarily a better movie, but a. It's a, a different be- movie. Yeah. It's very different. Yeah, it's very different. But as an adaptation goes, it's definitely the best adaptation. That, and I, I, I have, you know, we haven't seen it yet, but the Confessions of a Crap Artist movie. Yeah, or Radio Free Album. Those have to be better. Than that, the, the next. next. You could have picked an episode of Electric Dreams that would have been better than next. I mean, right? Anything, any of that, literally episodes, anything. Man. Yeah, but next, next is almost unwatchable. But um, yeah. well, we will watch it at it's some that point. Dangerous era, Nicolas Cage with those weird hair plugs, and like weird <laughs> skullet Devin Townsend yeah, right. before he got rid of the long hair look. <laughs> And uh, lots of lots of references in a short period of time there. Yeah, stay tuned for my Strapping Young Lad podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but what I did think was interesting is that this, that I don't know why now uh, Screen Rant chose to do this Philip K. Dick article. But Slow it, news day, David. Yeah, but it was out there, and um, I do think it's cool that they're, they're talking about. You know what, Screen Philip Rant, hire us to do a, a PKD list for you, because I'm yeah, I'm not feeling this. Let's list. get some professionals in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. real quick, guys. I don't mean to jump back, but the coffee is finally kicking in. I also interviewed a gentleman named Nick Buchanan, who's like Dick enthusiast and Shakespearean scholar, who also happened to write for mm-hmm. uh, PKD Otaku. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, nice. An article, um, kind of not in defense, but re-examining uh, PKD's The Cosmic Puppets. So, okay. Ooh. I'd be interested in reading that. Yeah. And, um, I've Do you know him, which you... I, I'll ask him what issue it is. Okay. But I really would like to have Nick on. And as you'll see in the interview, he's really knowledgeable and he's really great. So look forward to that. Yeah, awesome. yeah. It sounds great. All right, um, sorry. Anyway. Yeah, more voices the better. And uh, certainly somebody who might want to challenge us on Cosmic Puppets, which is the book that... I mean, Cody wanted to challenge us, too. Yeah. He was in favor of, of Boob Mountain. Yeah. Well... The Naked Gun 33 <laughs> in the third ending. Yeah, and who who knew that this book would have even more um, would have Stephen King level of boob obsession? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's this book is pretty boob heavy. Yeah, not pun not intended. Yeah, before we get into this particular novel, our next segment is Dick like suggestions. Langhorn, you got one? Uh, Always. Is it a video game? Uh, Always. Oh, but I got? think this one's rather appropriate uh, for the time. Uh, recently, Rutger Hauer died. Oh, why right? did you have to remind me? Which oh, was a yeah. very sad occasion. Also, he was still making amazing movies. Just real quick, The Hitcher is an underrated 80s classic. It is definitely underrated. Oh, and he was great in Lady Hawk as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. All right. Stay tuned for our future <laughs> podcast when we run out of Philip K. Diction. <laughs> the Rutger Hauer Hour. Yeah, right. Ooh, I like the that. Hauer hour. Hour. <laughs> the Hauer Hour. The Hauer Hour. Hmm. Well, I mean, he is, he did have one of the most famous scenes in movie history in a Philip K. Dick adaptation. With, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I, yeah. I think it's, I agree. It's valid. Well, to, I, I think the ending of Blade Runner and that entire ending <coughs> scene is iconic and gets yeah. me every time. Yeah. yeah it's beautiful. It, mm-hmm. Yeah. And Rugger Hauer, I, I, I definitely, you know, mad props to him. I know he improvised a lot of it. There's a real famous story that Rob Lowe <laughs> told about, uh, Filming uh, Salem's Lot with Rugger Hauer, 
and how he kept imp- improvising and going off the script, and the director was trying to get him to rail it in, and Rugger Hauer was like, I did one of the best improvised scenes in movie history. <laughs> now, Back off! I'm just saying, Rutger Hauer's also been in these great movies. He's also been in a little-known classic I like to call Surviving the Game. Yeah, that's with true. With Ice-T and Gary Busey, <laughs> and a young John C. McGinley. Yeah, I just thought that was a really funny story. Uh, uh, a lot of pointless moving things. Yeah. <laughs> Rob Lowe told that story. Well, on John think- C. McGinley wasn't that young. Well, I mean, young in his career, maybe. Youthful career. <laughs> That's well, a stretch. I'm so sorry. What's funny is Rob Lowe told that story on the Mark Marin podcast, but he didn't say Rugger Howard's name. But as soon as he said, I had one of the best improvs in movie history and i knew rugger hauer was in Salem's lot with him i was like well that's definitely rugger hauer yeah right <laughs> but uh all right anyways uh langhorn back to your uh oh, right. like suggestion all right and uh this is a game a video game that is also it's so much like blade runner uh that it's almost it's almost sick to call it dick like it's like dick wrote it it's called Observer, and Rutger Hauer plays a a detective who has robotic parts that he got from a company that basically runs the police, and it's in a post-apocalyptic world where he has to go to the slums because his son has been uh, has has called him and said, "Hey, Dad, I know we haven't talked, but I'm in trouble. Come to my apartment and help me out." He gets to his son's apartment. His son is murdered in a bloody mess. But then it, uh, it progresses from there. He has to go through the, the, uh, the investigation, find out all the information he can from all these different people. But the, because he has these robotic parts in his brain and he contacts dead people with this, uh, he can contact a dead body through a port that everyone has. And he has this little thing that he plugs in very matrix, like where he can go in and see their last memories or particular memories that they have. The, the game is incredible. It's short, but it is a, a beautiful game. And Rutger Hauer plays that part amazingly. Well, he's like this gruff sort of, uh, I can't believe I have to be here and do all this shit kind of, kind of character. That reminds me of, uh, there was a, and this could be a dick-like suggestion, I hadn't thought of it ahead of time, but um, you just made me think of uh, the final cut oh, with Robin Williams. Which I haven't seen yet. I, I've had it queued up for a long time. Yeah, that's very PKD, but it has a similar thing with uh, the pulling out of the last memories. Right. Because he pulls out a person's life, uh, memories of their their entire life. life, right? Yeah, and makes like and like, cuts it together, cuts it together for like a video scrapbook like type thing, and it, it's that's a really interesting movie. I need I'm gonna have to see that again because I haven't seen it since it came out. Right, and it came out in what ninety nine? The 90s? no, it was in the aughts. Oh, yeah, really? the early aughts during that phase when Robin Williams was making really like weird oh, like dark the movies. dark stuff after he made all his kids movies. Yeah, when he made One Hour Photo and Final right. Cut and like. All back to back. And, and he also later did those two Bobcat Goldthwait movies, uh, World's Greatest Dad and, oh yeah. no, just the one. The World's just Greatest the Dad. World's Greatest Dad. Which is a great movie. It's after that movie's a brilliant dark comedy. Yeah. World, it, World's Greatest Dad, I cannot recommend more. All right. Have you yeah, seen that, it, Larry? That movie is, yeah, it's great. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's great. All right. So what's the name of that game again? One it more is time? called Observer. Observer. And I, I didn't write it down. I wish I had, but I don't, I don't have the, uh, the, the people who made it. I don't have their name in front of me right now. Okay. Well, you could possibly put I'll that put a link. Show. Yeah. And, uh, Anthony, you got any dick like suggestions this month? Nope. All right. Moving um, right along. <laughs> well, you might be able to weigh in on mine. Uh, I don't know. Well, yeah, because it was already one of mine. Oh, was it? Trans- several episodes ago. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. I've just been reading Transmetropolitan by Warren Ellis. Yeah, and, um, uh, so speak- Oh, yeah, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of gritty urban, yeah, I I believe you were the reason why. I actually, now that I think about it, you were the reason why I put it um, on my hold at the library. And so I've read the first two graphic novels, and and uh, I'm loving it. I have so. all of them if you want to borrow them. Oh, okay. I have every single one because it's brilliant. Yeah. I don't know. It's not a dick like suggestion, but I've been watching The Boys on Prime. Oh man, that show it's is amazing. Good. <laughs> also, and way better than and, the, and, the comic. And it actually improves on a lot of things that are yeah. that are in the comic, which I read years ago. Um, the first few trades when it came out, and the, the show is actually one of the rare times that an adaptation really improves on a lot of the subject matter. I would agree. In the original comics. I would agree, and I just it recently tightens read up it, the story, so. right? It, it tightens it up. Uh, the all the women in the story are actually characters, and they mm-hmm. aren't just there to get browbeat by the dudes. Okay. Um, the seven all have a lot more depth, right? Yeah. Well, and and uh, in the, the show, primar- yeah, the- primarily Homelander. Wow. I felt like I feel like on the show has a lot more depth and kind of. Yeah, the comic oh, that, it, that it, character it, is amazing. That's I think really, Homelander, yeah, really good. Character. The comic is very thin story wise. The and, comic is like hmm. Garth Ennis unleashed. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I love his writing, though. Well, yeah, I, he's I written do, so many good comics that I do too. I just think the boys is him just being like, "I'm a Garth Ennis. I can do whatever the fuck I want now." I was reading yeah. a little bit about that. They actually canceled it. Uh, they canceled the boys. Uh, DC did, mm-hmm. and he had to go to a, a different yeah, publisher a for Dynamite. That. Dynamite, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, I've been, I, I, I was reading the boys on my way back from PKD Festival, you know, doing a refresher on it, and I was getting to certain pages, and I was like, I can't read this on the plane next to other people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I tried reading that recently and was not too into the the comic, but I do like the TV show. I think it has more depth. It has. It it has more emotional resonance, and I just it's just way better. Yeah, so I would agree with that. And it also so. has my uh, man crush Carl Urban, who's just yeah. the best all the time. Yeah, yeah, he, he is. is really good. And, and I'm I'm still I I don't think he gets enough credit for doing Dread uh, well, because he kept the the helmet on the whole time. I don't think Dread gets enough credit for no, that. Uh, yeah, that does that movie that, does. That movie's it. amazing. But, we all agree but an that. actor an actor thing is you know how in, in superhero movies they always for some reason find a way to take off their mask so you mm-hmm. can see their yeah. face. Yeah. I think the He does not do that in that movie. Oh, it's so and it's good. all about the character and not the actor. And I really like that that yeah. fact. Yeah, no, that movie is incredible, and it's so much better than the the Stallone oh, Judge Dredd. And I mean, just aside from the, from the Stallone movie being goofy, it just didn't really capture and the Rob essence Schneider being of in it. Well, I mean, everything is worse when Rob Schneider's in it. <laughs> Literally, everything is worse with Rob Schneider in it. Oh, and uh, a little fact about Carl Urban, and that includes I thought you were the world. Little Rob Schneider fact. <laughs> I don't have a little. No, uh, Carl Urban is in a relationship with Starbuck, uh, Katie Sackoff. So. Right on. Pretty cool. Pretty cool couple. Did we just get gossip? 
Yeah, wow. got- yeah. David, David's taking us to TMZ territory. <laughs> hey, TMZ, if you listen to the Dickheads podcast, I'd make a great sassy reporter. <laughs> All right. No, I just I'm I'm currently in a Battlestar Galactica rewatch, so I uh, um, getting a lot of Starbuck. So um, yeah, that uh, the boys I I think is a good suggestion. I think a lot of people are watching it, but if yeah, you know, but if you're looking for something to read. I, I mean, I, I recommended Un-America. I'm currently just read Clans of the Alphane Moon. Oh, I read a really interesting book on, um, octopi and human consciousness and how consciousness relates not just to us, but to other life forms in the ocean. And that was pretty neat. What's yeah. that called? Oh shit, I wish I could remember. Octopuses are really exciting. <laughs> um, I can't remember. That's a bad suggestion if you can't remember well, the title. Yeah, I know. I'll uh, put a link. <laughs> yeah, put a link after the fact. Yeah. yeah. So and and also, if you want to hear more about Trans Metropolitan, check out episode sixteen. Episode sixteen. Yeah, I don't know which one that is, but it that, is that's episode the one where 16. Anthony talked about Trans Metropolitan. Okay. Yeah, I think anybody that loves PKD would love Warren Ellis and any of Warren Ellis's work from Trans Metropolitan to uh, his novella Normal, which is very like paranoid future. Um, Gun Machine is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, I'm a big Warren Ellis nerd. Yeah, and besides that, uh, for reading, I've I've been doing some reading for our Hugo series, so they're going to end up being episodes anyways. But I did just finish Kennical for Leibowitz, and that was freaking incredible. It's a ten out of ten. Yeah, yeah. that's great. It's more like a fifteen out of ten. So which we're <laughs> yeah. recording soon. So yeah, uh, that doesn't mean it's going to be out soon. But <laughs> Kennical for Leibowitz, definitely big thumbs up. And if you re- if you read it based on the suggestion, by the time we have an episode, you'll already be done reading it. So. All right, so let's get on to Clans of the Alphane Moon, which was published in 1964, the last of the 1964 novels. So I'm going to hope that we don't have to recap what happened in 1964. I don't. don't, I I didn't look up anything this time. Yeah, we've done that three times. This is, this book came out towards the, in the winter of 1964, I believe November or December. So, uh, I mean, We've already been through it. This is right after Kennedy was assassinated and all that. Uh, but it was written, uh, from December 1963 to January 1964. It was written really fast. Right after he wrote The Zap Gun and before Kraken Space hmm. were the ones before and after. So there's no line- linear timeline to when Dick wrote something to when it got published in this era. It's all over the place. So you cannot think about these books being released and their influence or how they relate to his career other than how they re- how they got out into the world, basically, because they're they're all a big jumbled mess of how they were written. So there was a short story that little tiny aspects of Clans of the Alpha Moon were in, and that's a story called the Shell uh Shell Game. Uh, but there, it's, there's not that much to do with Clans of the Alphane Moon, just a little bit of the ideas. Clans of the Alphane Moon was completed January 16th, 1964. There's no actual confirmation on the date of when it was finished, but we believe that was it because of when it was received to the SLMA agency. Ace Books published it. No, uh, the official date for publishing was November twelfth, nineteen sixty four. So, and there's not a lot 
of quotes that we have of PKD talking about clans, the Alphane Moon, but there was one interview that he gave, and he did say this. I love Clans of the Alphane Moon, because the whole entire thing works up to this one funny scene where they call off the attack on the rocket ship, and the robot hasn't been told, and he goes and hammers on the door. And then the interviewer says, I really love that book, too, for a number of reasons, not for the least of which is the scene near the end where the relations among all the characters get so complex that the main character has to sit down for three pages and try to untangle who's on whose side. (laughs) He finally realizes that it's an impossible equation to solve, there's just too many people doing too many illogical things. That's entirely on their own. And PKD said? That's a funny book in many ways. Right. Dick, in the same conversation, mentioned Clans of the Alphane Moon in connection to his French publishers and editions. In comparison to, like, Ace books, I used to hold the French edition in one hand and an Ace edition in the other. Clans of the Alphane Moon is the one I used. Sorry. And then uh, the interviewer said, yeah, great cover for that book, The Guy with the Gun. Yeah, right, it's a book about guns. So I said, holy smoke, I can see a tremendous difference in the physical qualities of the two books. And they say they're going to publish all of my novels. Well, they didn't publish all of my novels because other French publishers bid on them and outbid them for a large number of novels. So Opta just published the ones they had acquired till title to. Someone told me I have like 26 to 29 novels in print in France. Yeah, so that's all we really have. That's all PKD. That's the only real quotes we have on Clans of the Alphane Moon. Unlike a lot of books like Man in the High Castle or Eye in the Sky, which had tons and tons and tons of letters and quotes, there's not a lot about Clans of the Alphane Moon. So, uh, unfortunately, that that's all we got, which is weird. Uh, I wonder if you guys, do you guys have an opinion wondering, I wonder why he didn't say more about this book. Uh, there's a lot of people that really like this book. Just, you know, he didn't really say much about it. Yeah, I, I, and he said a lot about a book where it was just, it had so many characters in it. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, which isn't a lot to say. Um, <laughs> uh, there was controversy related to this book because of an edition that included an introduction by one of our past guests, Barry Maltzberg. And so there was some stuff about it. After PKD's death, some of his friends got together to talk about PKD, and parts were selected for print in a Philip K. Dick Society newsletter in 1985. And those people were not happy with Barry Maltzberg's afterwards to to a Blue Jay edition of Clans. It's easy to do, as Barry Maltzberg did in his really surprisingly misinformed and error-filled essay in whichever Blue Jay book that was, Clans of the Alphane Moon, to jump to the conclusion that Phil was nuts. I think Maltzberg says that Phil was living at some focus of God's attention and couldn't leave his shabby apartment because that's where God's speakers were. (laughs) A, it wasn't a shabby apartment, and B, God talked to him all over the place. In Fullerton, several addresses in Fullerton, everything Maltzberg says is wrong. He's got wrong. He's got He's got wrong. Phil's age at death by, I think, more than one year. He's got the wrong number of days. Phil was in a coma. He got it wrong. Everything. Details that a newspaper could have cleared up. Yeah, and so I, I we don't need to go into all, all of that, but I thought that first part was really important uh, to know. When we talked to Barry Maltzberg, he... Well, hold on. Pause. Because okay. I think the last part of this this is actually kind of important. Okay. Um, do you, does anybody happen to know who TP is in the context of this information? It was the person who wrote the essay for the... Okay. the it's not Tim Powers? 
Yeah, it might be Tim Powers. Yeah, it could be. If you simply want to dismiss the subject and move on to something else, that's a good way to go. But if you really want to understand what propelled Phil and what was the fuel that kept him moving, it was a whole lot more subtle than that. And more rational than that. It's the same way with saying he's paranoid. Superficially, that sounds correct and can cover most of the facts, but it won't really work in the long run. Too many screwy things really did happen to him, and too many of his outlandish dreads turned out to be all too well-founded. Which I think is an important comment and just commentary on PKD overall, because something I learned hanging out with Tessa Dick was that while there, as an outsider looking in and hearing about these things happening to Phil, or listening to him talk about it to, you know, people who come to listen to him speak, you do kind of get the sense, oh, maybe he's just making shit up, or maybe he's right a little too freaked out. But a lot of it did happen, and it was just strange. Yeah, or, and in either way, he believed that they happened. And I think that's important, too. Well, we did get, a, you know, we interviewed Maltzberg here, and, and he seemed to have uh, a high opinion of of PKD, and we didn't get any sense that, you know... There was any animosity Animosity there. there. And, and so I haven't read that edition of the Blue Jay, the Blue Jay edition of Cleanse of the Alpha Moon, but we know that... In his life, Phil didn't like a lot of the introductions, the way people talked about him. For example, Harlan Ellison and his introduction in Dangerous Visions. So, so I think that I understand why, especially if that was Tim Powers or, you know, friends of Phil's really didn't like what Malzberg was saying. But at the same time, I think it may have been in relation to the, the content of this book specifically in Clans of the Alphane Moon, which was, you know, about mental disorders and and so on and he may have been trying to give more credence to phil's personal you know how this story might be personal i guess and and so i i'm going to defend maltzberg in that way on that but i did think it was interesting that there was this controversy over this afterward that was one of the few things when unlike a lot of the other pkd books when i was doing doing research on clans that I could find very little. And this controversy over this afterward is one of the few things of commentary that I found besides just all the general blogs that review every single thing that PKD does. <laughs> you know, those were the only places that, you know, with a lot of these novels, there's random articles from The Guardian, for example, or somewhere else where some particular person found interest in, hey, like, the solar lottery is really interesting to me because of this. Right. And there was very little of that with Clans of the Alphane Moon, except Hmm. one that we will talk about later, which was an article that was about everything that was wrong with 60s science fiction, and it highlighted (laughs) uh, Clans of the Alphane Moon, but we will talk about that later. So, I don't know. I mean, there's just not a lot to go on research-wise about what Phil was thinking when he wrote this why he wrote this or what was going on outside of, I think... Well, it's fairly obvious what was going on. Yeah, I, the, and when we reference uh, Divorcepedia, do we have the... Divorcepedia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do we have... Um, I'm sorry, did we read another Philip K. Dick book where he, the characters are disgruntled with their wives? Yes, we did, All as right. a matter of fact. And if we I'm have, shocked, David. Yeah, if we have yeah, the right. timeline... That was, um, so this was written in December of 63. Do we know where that was in the divorce, the Phil K. Dick divorce timeline? Yeah, we did this last time, but let me, uh, uh, Langhorn's gonna pull it up. 
And uh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously there was a lot of issues going on with divorce in this book. And in fact, in my opinion, it's one of the major weaknesses of the book is that the divorce kind of overtakes the story, which, you know, we'll get to later. So it was written in December of 63. Where were we in the divorce timeline? He was, uh, it was Anne. Oh, he was divorcing Anne at the time? Well, they were, they were fighting and all that stuff. They didn't get divorced until, uh, 64, but as so, you, you, you've talked about in other, in other episodes from this year, he, he, they were not having a good time. <laughs> no, no. I, I feel like dating Dick wasn't a good time after. In general. In general. Yeah. Yeah. Great writer. Not a great husband. Um, <laughs> not a romantic, I guess. Yeah. Maybe in the early days. I don't know. Yeah. So that's all we know about the writing and publication history. There have been many editions. It stays in print just like all the other ones. But there, I don't really think there's been any special. It's not a sci-fi masterwork or any of that stuff. So it hasn't, it hasn't gotten in there. Now, I know, you know, for us and our circle of friends, we, I know Cody is a big fan of Clans of the Alphane Moon and, you know, I've definitely, within my circle of friends, heard a lot of people say positive things about Clans of the Alphane Moon. So it was one that had a good reputation for me. I know this is one of the ones that, um, Anthony, you read this one before we were doing, started doing the podcast. Yeah, this is actually so. the first dick book I've ever, I ever picked up and read. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause uh, I think both Larry and I started with, uh, androids. So, yeah. So that is, that is interesting in the timeline. All right. Well, that's it for the writing and publication history. You know what time it is now. Oh, it's my favorite part of this podcast. Oh, the story break time. Nap time. It's the story breakdown presented by MBR. (laughs) Langhorn, take it away. All right. So, um, all right. I made notes. Awesome. As you can hear, that's the sound of notes. Yeah, that's that's the sound of paper. Uh, In the old days, people used to use paper for things, and uh, (laughs) so, and I'm old, so I use paper. Uh, so well, this is, um, this is Clans of the Alphane Moon, which is a book, um, by, by Philip K. Dick. All right. So just picture it. Okay. Here, this is the, uh, this is, I wrote this. No, I didn't write, I didn't write anything. Um, but picture this. There is a moon outside of a planet that is full of crazy people. But they've been there long enough that they have formed their own type of government and split into clans based on their illnesses. It's amazing. They don't have problems with each other, which you would think they would be at war constantly. No. 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 We we open with them having a meeting of all their leaders to figure out what to do because there is a ship in orbit that is coming and they have no idea why. Dun dun dun! That's a build up to a great ass story, right? That would cut be. to chapter two. Boring ass fucking guy that has no fucking personality is getting divorced from his overbearing wife. He's got. Thank you, he's PKD. Got a, he's got a point. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. <laughs> 
All right, so yeah, chapter two, we meet our supposed hero. We get we get our stock dick character. Yeah, which really, in all honesty, could have been the pair. Yeah. Sorry, but go on. Yeah, right. <laughs> um. So we meet uh Chuck Rittersdorf, who has just gotten divorced from his wife and is moving in to this dump. And <laughs> it turns out that he has a bunch of alien neighbors, but we don't meet them yet. We just hear about his shitty life. And then we cut to his psycho wife being a psycho. And then we cut back to Chuck being like, oh, my God, I should commit suicide. And then this blob enters and says, you shouldn't do that, bro. That's a bad move. And this is Lord Running Clam, which is a great name, by the way. I I wish my mom had named me Lord Running Clam. Well, I think there was somebody that Anthony hung out with at the festival who agrees with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so so Lord Running Clam's like, dude, you can't kill yourself. That's bogus. So what you should do is, I'll I'll tell you what, I'll send you a girl and everything will be fine. (laughs) And, and Chuck, our hero. I mean, who hasn't had a slime mold? Is like, is like, yeah, sure. All right. Whatever. I don't make decisions. I just glide through life and am an amazing writer. So, okay. So the girl comes over and she's young and he goes on about She's her small real boobs. Real young. About her two small boobs for about like five pages. And then we move on to. She had a cool job. The, uh, I'm starting to get the impression Dick liked, you know, heavy chested women. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I'm a small boob guy myself. Yeah. I'm right, a, I'm, did, I hardly ever notice boobs myself. So. Yeah. All right. Guys. I notice Larry's. Yeah. Well, mine are proud. <laughs> Mine are proud man boobs. All right, so then you know we 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 then go to uh, Chuck's wife Mary, ex-wife technically. We go to Mary, and Mary's like, "I have to make Chuck a better man, so I'll fuck his life over. That'll make him so much better." Oh yeah, look at me go! I'm a super bitch. And then so she goes and she meets with this fucking. Red Skelton guy, Bunny Hentman, who is, he's basically a TV variety show personality who does, you know, little skits and whatever. Has if his own anybody, if anybody remembers the show of shows or anything like that, which no one will. But if you remember any of those, I mean, it was on before I was born, which is a long time ago. I'm using paper. <laughs> if you have, that, that gives you a clue on how old I am. All right, so basically, Bunny is this schmarmy, dickbag, fucking, just gross. He's gross. He's like, yeah, I'll give your husband a job if you blow me. And so she's like, oh, I'm so offended. But eventually she blows him. <laughs> All right, so so then, you know, um, oh, <laughs> yeah. All right, so we don't do that yet. See, I've got notes, so I gotta refer to the notes. Alright, so there's, so there's the crazy people that we, we talked about in the first chapter. Like that cool story going on. Yeah. Uh, we go back to that for a second. We meet a, what do, what do I call him? He's a psychic saint. His, his name is, uh, 
um, that one, that one name, Ignatz Ledbubler. Ignatz. Ignatz. Ledbubler. 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 Was he? Was he? Tagged, he is. He was. He called a precog in the book. I think. No, he, no, he's not a precog. There is a precog in the he book. He is a Heb mystic. Oh yeah, that's right. And uh, and Heb does not mean what I thought it meant in the first chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look it up. Apparently, it's a a it's Heba Heba. Uh, I have it in my notes. Hold Hebophenia? on. Yeah, he. Yeah, so I can't remember what it's called, but it's a. It's an odd sort of psychosis where you you uh, act sort of childlike and and uh, lose your your sense of society or sense of decorum and you just don't care and then there's it's, delusions involved and it's disorganized schizophrenia is, is, how is yeah I'm sure it's been redefined since I mean I'm yeah, sure I don't think it exists anymore. all these things have been redefined since Dick's day so. Anyway, we meet him. He's kind of a cool guy, but he doesn't really do much. He he's like, "All right, everything's cool, brother. Let's uh let's hang out." Oh shit, I had a vision. Shit's going down. All right, man, it's cool. I'm going to go see some people, talk about some shit. All right. And then he goes and he talks to the to the uh the the other psychics and he's like, "Hey, we should do some things. You want to do some things?" All right. And so they try to do a thing, but nothing happens. Because the because there's a weird sort of laughing moment, they they lose their their vibe, and uh, then Mary, who is on this mission to uh, assess the this moon, and I'm not going to go into it. Fuck that, just fuck that. It's too it's too much to explain right now. All right, so Mary's like Mary ends up on the planet with with uh with hubby uh. With our, our hero, Chuck, but it's not Chuck because he's a what, guys? He programs simulacra. And yeah, so he's not really on the moon. He is a simulacra on the moon with his wife, who he intends to murder because of reasons. And that's basically how Dick says it. He says, I don't know why all of a sudden I want to murder my wife. Well, and it's the most imperfect murder ever because <laughs> it's like the most <laughs> obvious he's like i'm going to use my simulacra that i program yeah he's to he, murder my wife says and that. no one's says, ever going to know he says i everybody's going to know i murdered her but they won't be able to prove it <laughs> that's his brilliant plan all right so anyway uh, he murder. he gets it he gets a, his job you know with with Bunny and Bunny's like write me a script, and then he's like, oh, I gotta write Bunny a script. I better get some drugs from my amorphous neighbor. <laughs> and then his amorphous neighbor's like, yeah, I got some drugs that'll keep you up all the time, and it'll be awesome. You'll love it. It's a way of life. Uh, so then he does the drugs. He stays up. He's doing his simulacra gig for the government for the CIA, and then he's doing his. Uh, writing gig for Bunny and Bunny's like, Oh, all right. That's sort of a good story. Let's do that. And then they, 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 they have this meeting and he's getting freaked out and Chuck's getting freaked out because Bunny knows too much or maybe he doesn't know too much. I don't know. No one knows at this point. So shit's going crazy. And then 
he's like, oh, wait, I just saw a cute girl on the screen, and she's an actress for the thing I'm writing. I better go try to bang her, because that makes sense in the middle of... Look at her boobs. Those are huge boobs. And she's Irish. It's awesome. All right. So he goes and he tries to bang the cute girl. In the meantime, Bunny gets uh, outed by the CIA as a a spy for the Ganymedians. Ganymedes? Yeah, the Ganymedes. And then, uh, so blah, blah, blah. Uh, Bunny runs away. Bunny sends a guy to get Chuck. Chuck is like, all right, I fucking... I, I, I had to have my, my other friend kill that guy. So now I gotta leave. He leaves because he's like, well, what should I do now that I can't be on earth anymore? I should go kill my wife in person. <laughs> okay. So he goes and he's like, I'm gonna go kill my wife in person and cut to his wife being like, Oh, all right. All you fucking crazy bastards. Uh, you know, you're crazy, right? And you can't make decisions. I'm gonna make all your decisions. And then the crazy people are like, you know what? Uh, no, nope. no, we're we're going to fight you and fight you hard, bitch. And so they they do. And by the time Chuck gets there, there's a like a battle going on. Uh, there's big giant ships up from from the world from what they call the the Terran something. Anyway, from the Terrans, they're they're circling the planet, but the uh, the crazies have put up a big shield so they can't get in. And Mary's plucking off people left and right because she, she doesn't care. She's like, well, you're not a sane person. Bleep. Kill you. And then Chuck's like, oh, I got to plant my buddy because he got shot in that thing. So Lord Running Clam comes back and he's like, hey, we should make peace. And then he's like, oh, fuck you. And then Bunny comes in. And Bunny's like, hey, come on my ship. And, and then they're like, all right, I'll do that. So then he goes on the ship and Bunny's like, hey, tell the crazy people that they can be with the Ganymedians and, and then fuck the, the world people. And then so they, he's like, yeah, that's a terrible idea. Okay. I'll do that. And now I love my wife and I don't want to kill her anymore. Ugh. And then so he's like, oh, hey, hey, I can't do it in person. So I'm going to use that simulacra I was for, for a minute. Mag boom. And I, Mag I said bomb. mage. It's Mage Boom. Mage Boom. And so he's like, hey, uh, crazy people, you want to be Ganymedians? And they're like, what? And then Mage Boom, the the simulacra goes, and then he becomes, uh, he he goes back to controlled, being controlled by the CIA. And then they shoot the, they shoot Mage Boom. And then they're like, that's a good idea. So they just call. I don't know why they couldn't. Of just called instead of having the mage boom guy come in person in the first place, but it doesn't matter. And, and so they, they decide that they're Ganymedians and then Mary gets sane again for a minute. Uh, she decides not to kill anything anymore. And then Chuck's like, I love her. Take me to her, but she's banging, uh, Ignatz, Ignatz Ledberg. She's, for some reason, um, she just decided, to, you know what? I have to bang that weird guy. Uh, so she did. And then she's hanging out with the um, – uh, Bunny's fine. Bunny, uh, it, once they make that deal, 
Bunny's then a Ganymedian, and he's like, I don't care if I have a license plate name, uh, like RBX 303. <laughs> and Wait, no, that, that's an Alphane. He's an Alphane. Oh, sorry. The Alphanes. Yeah. Well, like, I know the difference. <laughs> You're supposed to correct me when I get the planets wrong, David. I just did. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So the Ganymedians. That's that's Lord Running Clam. He's the uh, he's the blob. He, yeah, he's the slime mold. And then the yeah. RBX three o three is a Alphane. Is an Alphane. Yeah. Totally different. Yep. The yep. Alphanes are insects without eyes. Yeah. You you uh, you do that in a council meeting on Alphane. You on M Alpha M two. You'd probably cause a, a diplomatic incident. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Probably. All right. So. <laughs> So then Chuck uh, is like, I don't know what to do. My wife doesn't love me, or she does. I don't know, but I love her now. I no longer want to murder her, which I've been trying to do for half the book. Um, and then Lord Running Clam's like, hey, you guys should be tested to see how fucking crazy you are. And turns out Chuck is supposedly normal, and supposedly <laughs> Mary's just a depressed person. Like that's He's a fucking- I wonder if, like, he was afraid Anne had read the first half of the book and was like, I gotta make him love her again at the end, otherwise I, I've Anne's got gonna... I've got ideas on that. But Okay, uh, we'll come back she's... to that. <laughs> but Mary is definitely a fucking psychopath. <laughs> I, I would also not... say she's a sociopath. Yeah, well, we could talk about that, too, if we want. I think that... <laughs> her, her depiction is part of what's wrong with this book, but yes, go but, ahead. So, by the end, they're back to almost being a couple. Uh, Chuck is gonna start a, a, his own, what, a, his own clan called Norms, you know, for normal people. Oh my god. And Norms. The Normies. Yeah, the Normies. Hey, Norm. And, uh, everyone lives happily ever after, except for they caused a, a another war between the, what are they called? The Alphanes. And Terra. And Terra. So, you know, everything's good except for that whole war business. The uh, end. All right. So one of the things I think we should talk about first is the clans themselves. Yeah. So you have the pairs, and their representative is Gabriel Baines. And their settlement is Adolfville. <laughs> because apparently the pairs would be like, hey, you know who we should name our city after? Hitler, <laughs> because well, if you're looking for a paranoid schizophrenic, I guess so. But maybe you'd honor one who didn't. All those paranoid schizophrenics who've done great things. I don't know. There's got to be somebody who's <laughs> be- done better than Hitler. Anyways, not as well known though. So, uh, but we do know that this is kind of the capital of Alpha Three M Two is Adolfville. So the idea is supposed to be that. The pairs are very orderly and that they believe in defense. Yeah, and they believe in defense. So they control the Alpha 3 M2 military as well. And then you have the Mans, and they are suffering from mania. And they're the warrior class, I guess. So, uh, and their representative is Howard Straw. And are we really going to name every one of the leaders? Yeah, probably not. But, uh, okay, so, but we are, I do want to mention their settlement is Da Vinci Heights. 
So the mans get a much cooler. Yeah, that was a good joke up until he explained it in the end. Right. Yeah. I agree with you. And um, the Skitzes are the ones suffering from schizophrenia. And Skitztown is named Joan of Arc. The Hebes suffering from Hebrophenia, which we think does not exist as a diagnosis anymore of any kind. It's disorganized schizophrenia. And interestingly, their town is Gandhi Town, which is where Mary Ritterdorf lands when she comes there. Yeah, that uh, that uh, disease or whatever you want to call it, that mental illness, mm-hmm. uh, supposedly started by being named after people in India who had a certain oh, okay. lifestyle. So yeah. that's sort of where the uh, I think the Gandhi the Gandhi town thing. Yeah, you know. and it's described as a inhabited garbage dump of cardboard dwellings. <laughs> So that's where you're going to land your spaceship and say, I come in yeah. peace. Uh, the polys suffer from polymorphic schizophrenia. Yeah, what is that? Uh, I'm not sure, but their town is called Hamlet Hamlet. Because <laughs> we technically don't ever meet a polymorphic. Yeah, we do. Their their delegate is uh, Annette Golding. Except for in the end, she's normal. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> So you have obcoms, which is obsessive-compulsive. Well, and I think it's also interesting to notice that the po- the children are born as polys, or considered to be polys automatically. The obcoms, the obsessive-compulsive disorder, and the depths suffering from clinical depression, and that's all... The emos. Yeah. <laughs> in, that, in that, what is it, in the first chapter, when <laughs> the, the depth delegates, like... Yeah, everything sucks. Yeah, they're super emo, That's right? Great. I th- I thought. How do you feel this was rolled out? Uh, do you think this this was kind of natural? You mean I, like the marketing campaign for it? Or no, <laughs> in the world building of the story, I think he did a pretty good job, actually. Yeah, oh, yeah. As I, much as much as all this is pretty politically incorrect and out of date, now I think the way he did this idea was cool because, and I'll tell you why it worked for me because I didn't read anything about this book before I sat down to read it. I just knew the title. Yeah. So for me, I didn't really catch on to what was happening right away until Mary Ritterdorf landed. And then I, it almost worked as a twist for me. Like, oh, I get it now. Cause oh, it, really? It, yeah. I, for whatever. I think it was, it, you know, I only read the first four pages and, uh, I, I misinterpreted what was going on. But then, uh, as everyone was introduced, I knew exactly what was happening there. I love just that because first I got scene, the uh, yeah. I think the first that that first scene is actually really cool. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the I agree. I just don't. That's sorry, not, that, I, I don't, that's not where the problem lies. But go ahead. Yes, David. Where does the problem lie? Well, we'll get there. Talk about the first chapter. First. No, just I think the first chapter is handled really well. I think it 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 does something that I wish Dick did more of is that it's a little bit slow, but it's still interesting. We're still being introduced to characters that are pertinent to what's happening in the storyline. And, and it's I'm not, not spoon-fed? Sack fucking potatoes! It's not spoon-fed, right? It's not it, It's not all explained. Oh, it it, it kind of walks on that line. Yeah. Uh, uh, sometimes, because Baines will say, oh, she, you know, I can find a page right here, I bet. David, well, do what you usually do and talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, well, I think this, 
this is the storyline, right? This this is what the book should be about, and all the divorce stuff is just right. is the problem. So so we'll, it, we'll does, it, it does it does I would wouldn't say it doesn't spoon feed it to you. So on page ten of the vintage vintage edition with this weird T one thousand liquid metal <laughs> on the cover, <laughs> uh, Dick writes the Dep representative had appeared. He stood in the doorway, and his fear-haunted, concave face with its staring eyes seemed to pierce Baines to the heart. Good lord, he groaned, not knowing whether to feel compassion for the poor Depp or just outright contempt. After all, the man could buck up. All the Depps could buck up. If they had any courage, but courage was totally lacking in the Depp settlement to the south. This one palpably showed this lack. He hesitated at the door, afraid to come in, and yet so resigned to his fate that in a moment he would do so anyhow— would do the very thing he feared, whereas an obcom, of course, would simply count to twenty by twos, turn his back, and flee. <laughs> so it does teeter that line. It gives you a little bit of like a little. But it bit doesn't of say it outright. But I, I'd say it's 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 showing you how the Dep is representing. Yeah. What this kind of co- almost comically unpc description of it. There's also on page ten of the of the Mariner edition when they introduce the skits delegate and talk about Adolfville. There's some really good world building there. Mm-hmm. And I like the, where he just says, uh, just a skit. The man said, amused, lost in visions. And so there's all like kinds of little things and little clues, little clues. But for me, I, I think that it would have worked just a little bit better for the twist. If you didn't realize they were running a planet so much as like if you could have just thought like this is just a a, a gathering of these people or it's not a planet it's a moon. Well, yeah, exactly. But it, and then that way, if you'd found out that that their whole society was kind of working together, and that's I mean to kind of talk about what David was saying a second ago though about how and we've brought it up a couple times that the representations of these characters with these. Illnesses are, well, how would you phrase it, David? Politically incorrect and out of date. Politically incorrect and out of date. I almost feel like Dick did it, I almost feel like Dick doesn't paint them as, because uh, if you look at the Mary Riddersdorf character, she's a total bitch. Yeah. And I almost feel like Dick is saying these people are better off than those of us who are supposed to be normies. Yeah. Well, Despite sure. Despite this weird kind of shoehorned in happy ending, but we'll get to yeah. that. Well, and I don't want to give the impression that I think the book isn't valid or isn't worth reading, just because it's a little out of date, and I certainly think it's not a politically correct way of looking at these things, but I also think that there's interesting ideas going on, and I think it's valid and should be read. I don't think it should be dismissed because of those reasons. I think the thing that doesn't work for me in the book, it starts in chapter two, which is that the divorce takes over the story and Chuck and Mary Ritterdorf's Ritterdorf. Ritterdorf, that their whole storyline is so besides the point. And for me personally, I think the book, first of all, I don't, yes, Mary comes off as, as a psycho, but for me, I think this story would have worked better if she was a better character and she was the main character. I, yes. And not Chuck. Yeah, I would think, I personally would jettison the Chuck character completely. 
Yeah, boom. Done. Um, so I think we got, we agree on that at this point. I and, don't. But. And, um, but, well, two thirds of us do anyways. And I think the divorce stuff is hilarious in its own right because of what it means for Dick and where it is and, in, in the timeline. But for me, right. the main, the story that's interesting is Mary going, the idea of a psychologist or a counselor Going to this planet full of people. So not been- a, not a better character. If she was a different character. No, a better character. A better version. What does that mean? Well, what I'm saying. So is- not a psychopath. Yeah, because I think all the psychopaths. Well, then she'd be a different character. So you're saying if if Mary was a different character, a a better psychologist, a better psychologist, psychiatrist. Yeah. Then the story should have been about her. It should have been about her. It should have been about. I think the story should have been about. If you're looking, the, the idea of this asylum planet where they've developed their own society and the psychologist who goes there and wants to try and tame the natives, right? And that is the interesting story, not the CIA simulacra programmer who seems totally besides the point to me. I think if she had been the focus of the story, it just would have made more sense because that's a good in to the the story of the clans of the Alphane Moon instead of, like, divorce on the Alphane Moon, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I was, yeah. Yeah, because the book we got is more divorce on the Alphane Moon. Pretty much. Then, and I want it, and I think there is a version of clans of the Alphane Moon and I'm not saying that anyone would greenlit this story as a film, but when we get to that, that's where I would go as far as telling the story where you could do, because I thought the storyline with the Asylum Planet is really a cool idea. Mm-hmm. But the reason why this book doesn't work for me is because I this whole divorce thing, which at the same time has some really funny moments and insights into Philip K. Dick. On the Mariner edition on page 15, there's some really funny things. I know these federal divorce laws, not like the old days of state divorces. Been to court yet? Got your first papers? And that, like, all this stuff where he's talking about the ways that the divorce is just gonna, you know, ruin him and all these fears that he has going on with this, how he's gonna lose his job writing propaganda. Right. And there's, like, there are interesting things going on there, but I feel like that's a different story. And, and and that was what didn't work for me. Well, I disagree. Okay. Because he brings the whole story back around to the planet mm-hmm. and everything that's happening there. So it it's not divorced from – they're not divorced from each other, the, the two storylines. Mm-hmm. They become one story in the end. I mean, isn't that what you want from a, a good story is that disparate parts of the story come together? That's basically Stephen King's entire career. <laughs> well, look, look, I've, I, I value your opinion on that. And I think that it, I, I don't think this book just totally doesn't work. I just think that there's a more interesting story for me uh, out there. If we don't, if we go to Mary, the Mary storyline instead of focusing well, on. Well, but yeah, yeah, in order to do that, you have to make her a different character. You know, I, I feel like we're getting hung up on different though. It, it's, you just have to make her. What, what, so let me ask you this, Larry. What, why do you think that adding more to her personality makes her a different character as opposed to okay, making add, her more add, complex Tell character? me how you add more to a psychopath to make her a better character. Well, I think what David is saying, make her a more complex character. 
Yeah, I don't want her to be necessarily a. I don't think she needs to be a psychopath. I think uh, she's. So she, let, let me ask. Sorry, David. I need to cut you off. I'm not. I I think there that right there. Yeah. That makes her a different character. Sure, <laughs> but that I that's what I'm saying is I don't I didn't like her as a character. So you're not supposed to like her. She's the bad guy. Well, I understand that, but I think she should be the hero of the story. That's what I'm saying. It just my personal opinion. I don't opinion even think this it. particular story needs a good guy or a bad guy or a hero. I think a better. I, I think the novel I would want is this borderline sociopathic, cold person going to this this population on the Alphane moon that is inhabited by a bunch of people. She's supposed to know how to. And what are we going to, what word do we want to use? Treat? Cure? Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and learning more that she is no different and no better than anyone else that's afflicted with a mental illness because she has her own shit to deal with. Well, which to she me does would be a that. better character. She does learn that. Kind, does she though? Kinda. And, and this is. And, but what I mean by that is that a little bit she does towards the end, but the entire Chuck Rittersdorf section could be background to her arc. Mm-hmm. I agree. And think about how much, how interesting of a scene would be from that character's POV learning that this simulacrum that's supposed to be with her is now being piloted by so her the, pissed off divorced ex. Sure. Husband. So, yeah. so in that scenario, what is your story? Oh, sorry. We had an It's just you and, uh, it's just her talking to these crazy people? No. Oh. No. What I, is the story? Then? No, what you're talking, what, what this, this, first of all, this story was written at the beginning of the Vietnam era, right? And I think what there's, what is going on here that's really interesting that Phil K. Dick is doing is he's got this kind of colonial, this look at colonial society. Like at that time, colonial society was falling apart, right? In the world. We have a lot of the European colonies falling apart and we have Vietnam happening. And here is a woman who's coming to the, the people who are native to this planet, this moon at this point. And telling them, okay, yeah, your society's working, but we're gonna fix it. We're gonna make it better. Because for, for whether we think it makes sense or not, the, the clans are making it work. Right? And so I think the interesting storyline is here comes Mary who's gonna say, I'm gonna fix you all, even though they're doing all right. And then I think. Well, I don't, I don't look at it as a colonial thing. I see it as sat, satire for our real society. That's that's in that's essentially how I looked at it too. Sure, but I that's think, a, a valid so, interpretation. Sure, go ahead. No, but I I think I think there's a little bit of both going on. But I th I think I think that's what PKD was doing, and that's why I think Mary. I think that's an interesting storyline, is because I think you're going to get if you were to do it from Mary's perspective, you're going to have more of the you're going to actually have more of the clan. Well, Larry asked what's the story yeah. that is the story her arc is learning that she is afflicted with her own illnesses like that's the story but the, do you mean what what's the plot yeah well i think it i i i think you would focus more on on how that society and that culture responds to being told that that they need to change so i think you would just you would do more world building and you do it more you know and do they and do they owe her any help when she finally does realize that the simulacrum is essentially there to kill her right and if you fo if you focus on wait her so we still have that well you could focus we still have so so listen i'm not saying we don't have that what i am saying is we put mary as at the forefront 
of the story, and Chuck is more of the secondary supporting character. They switch, they is switch. what I'm saying. Yeah, you because switch all the, the stuff villain with, is. Aside from all the stuff with the CIA and Bunny Hentman is really pointless to the rest of the book. That's no, every not- part, every part has an, has a role to play. Everything builds to the, to the conclusion. Bunny Hentman is the catalyst for the change and the conclusion. Yeah, I'm I'm not saying that it doesn't that he didn't make all the parts work towards the end. I mean Chuck doesn't even go there if if Bunny didn't exist. All all the parts work. I think you're right, Larry. All the parts yeah. work towards the end, but what I'm saying is that I think hmm. that there is a better story told for if you flip the perspectives. And instead of making the 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 husband the ex-husband the hero and and making the wife the hero you can you get closer to that clan I don't like the word hero though in the context <laughs> of the story I I don't think it has to be again a protagonist or whatever yeah main character I just didn't find I felt that you could still get the conclusion you get with or without Bunny Hentman or with or without the CIA I just all these scenes with with them just didn't resonate with me whatsoever. Hmm. I found some of those scenes to be funny. So I, you know, and that may be difference in Larry and I's age towards yours, because the whole Benny Hedman character, I think is somebody who we recognize a little bit better, but at the same time I could do with or without that part of the storyline. And it didn't work. For so me so maybe, well. maybe what David and I are saying is we wanted a different book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's, really I, I what think that's, at. that's where I was trying to get you guys. Is to say, you want a different writer and a different book. Not a different writer. Just di- well, well, obviously, maybe. you want yeah. a different writer because this is the book he wrote. Well, yeah. I well, look, and and you guys want me to be more critical and to not necessarily sure. love everything. And this is and def- for me to not hate everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this is definitely one that. I loved the idea of and did not like the execution. And I have to say, I really like this book. Ooh. All right. When we get to final thoughts. Uh, Just like uh, Vulcan's Hammer. Oh, yeah. I liked a lot of Vulcan's Hammer. I forgot we read that, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, moving on to some other things. Let's talk about Lord Running Clam uh, as a character. Great character. Fucking busybody slime yeah, right. mold. <laughs> all up in my business like an 80-year-old person living across the hallway. <laughs> uh, Chuck saw a yellow Ganymede slime mold that had silently flowed under the door of the con app and was gathering itself in a heap of small glows which comprised its physical being. I rent the con app across the hall, the slime mold declared. Uh, Chuck said, among Terrans, it's customary to knock. I thought most of Lord Running Clam was very funny. Yeah. Uh, that stuff worked really well. I like the whole, and, and I'm going to flow this into the, to the Lord Running Clam. The idea of the con app that there's this apartment that he's so on the outs that he has to go live with a bunch of people from other planets. Yeah, right. Um, the con app thing was, all very good, all very funny, it all worked for me. I think this book may be underrated as I think this one kind of fits into the man who japed and uh as far as the more comedic mm-hmm. of and and one of the things that's interesting is in all the times i I saw people talk about this book, I didn't see I think Evan Lampy is the only one that really talked about how comical it is besides 
you know, in most oh, of the yeah. commentary, I didn't hear much about how funny it is. But um, Lord Running Clam is hilarious. All of his, you know, the slime mold said and, like, the way he used under the door and all that. Um, right. And so what I kind of picked Yeah, his invasiveness was was awesome. The fact that he couldn't uh, telepathically speak to just one person, that right. it always went to the crowd. <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah. He's, Be- like, trying to whisper a secret, but everyone knows because they all get it in their head at the same time. Which is a hilarious way to do the character who's, like, the annoying guy who lives in your building that knows everything. Right, right. The nosy next-door neighbor. Right. So I think Lord Running Clam was genius. And that was that was a A-plus thing in, in, in this book. I'm not quite sure I understand the name. <laughs> I don't know either. I don't know if it has a purpose or not. Other than it just sounded funny to him, mm-hmm. I think. But do you think Lord Running Clam is British? I definitely heard him as, <laughs> as British. As British. <laughs> well, want, he's from the moon of Jupiter. I want Lord Running Clam to be voiced by Michael Caine. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, so it was page thirty that we had the um, kind of the more the reveal that no one has been there in twenty five years, and that's when I really I think page thirty for me in in my edition, in the Mariner edition is when I really understood fully that the clans, that this had been a, a mental institution, basically, and this clan, this moon had been, and that they left the people there and let them go just so they would have a land claim, right, on the moon. Right. And I thought that was kind of a neat little s- storyline, and I really enjoyed that aspect of of the and and it worked as a twist for me, is what I'm saying. Which which I know not. Is ever- that the um? Is that when the what what is happening on page thirty? That's when the when uh Mary's ship lands, I believe, and you get and she talks to them in Gandhiville uh, about oh, really. Yeah. It, wow, that's really early on. Has it occurred to Terraplan to just leave this moon alone to treat its culture as it, as you would any other culture, respecting its values and customs? Oh no, that's the inner. That's the uh, press conference. Oh, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. That's the scene where it where I, I guess it made sense to me. Okay. And then she says, uh, "We don't know enough yet. Perhaps we'll know more, but it's not. It's not a subculture. It's it's no tradition." It's a society of mentally ill individuals and their offspring that came into existence only 25 years ago. And I think that was like a really cool way of like, for me, when I was reading the book, that's when I really understood fully what was going on. You yeah. Know? I would have liked, uh, one thing I would have liked is more, and tell me what you think about this, but more of the, uh, of what the life was like in, in at least one of the individual uh, clans. Like, if you're surrounded by manic people constantly, would you automatically become, you know, just due to environment, would you be manic? I don't know, David. How do you handle being around me? <laughs> it's tough sometimes. Yeah. Um, but think about it. From the time you're born, since they, she does talk about children, and they have a, a school that is for all the uh, all the kids at the same time. If you're around, if you're a kid around manic people, would would that affect your personality of course yeah and i think your society would be kind of formed around those ideas and i think the idea the concept that the towns have this way of living is 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 a part of that and 
I think those are interesting. But again, I think that if you had focused that story more, if it had been more of clans of the Alphane Moon instead of divorce on the Alphane Moon, I think you would <laughs> you would get more of that. And I think that is the more interesting part of the story. And I think, you know, I agree with you that that I would like to have seen more about how those different towns and cities had worked. Yeah, like well, like I said in the breakdown, you know, we get we get on the second chapter, we get the ordinary. A loser husband character, you know, with the dull job that he hates or at least is, is not willing to leave and doesn't care about much. And I don't say this often. I don't think I've ever said it. Oh boy. I wouldn't mind a rewrite of Clans of the Alphane Moon written by J.G. Ballard. Really? <laughs> yeah, he would probably nail because that. I think that societal... Ballard would nail the breakdown of each society. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Sorry, I said to throw so, that out there. So when you yeah, said, that's... Larry, that you would like to see this with another writer, you're saying J.G. Ballard. Ballard. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not sure if he was a fan of this book or not. Um, I know he was a fan of some, some of Dick's work, but yeah. Everybody I, read Concrete Island. It's amazing. I know. I need to read that. It's so good. Sorry. I was just looking at that on my shelf the other day. So, um, so good. Bonus episode. Oh my god, bonus Ballard cast. <laughs> yes, please. Um so yeah, I I would like to see more of the the towns and the setup and the all that. I think that but I think he did a good job with the world building where it yeah, was. Absolutely. There. I I think this is the one of the most solid despite things I don't like about it. There are this is the most solid dick book we've read in a yeah. while. The, yeah, I, I was not, actually it's thinking not, we we talked about how uh like most authors get a chance to write early stuff and not publish it. I feel like this would be a great first novel. Yeah. If this was yeah. you know if Dick actually had that opportunity to, you know, build and, and write these other books and this would really be in modern well, maybe not in modern day because of the the uh stupid political correct stuff that that's in it, but but the um it would make a great first novel for Philip K. Dick. Yeah, I think so. And and I think it doesn't have that that feel that a lot of the other books we've read so far have of being three different, four different novels right. smashed together yeah. into some weird monstrosity that makes sense for a quarter of the book and then another quarter kind of makes sense and then another and another and then finally you're like, I read this thing that just looks like a patchwork of ideas. <laughs> yeah, but to me, I look at this and say, he's already written Martian Time Slip. He's already written Time Out of Joint. He's already written Eye in the Sky and he's already written Man in the High Castle. And like, I, and I, those are all flawed books. One I of mean, those and- I cannot fucking stand. <laughs> well, but the others, two of those I cannot <laughs> fucking stand. Well, I the think others are good. Well, I think all those books are brilliant, and I, I think Eye in the Sky is a masterpiece. Yeah. Well, and, and well, uh, but again, it's flawed because you sure. don't get all the perspectives. Sure. You know, all these books have these a uh, glaring problem. This book Wouldn't comes say, together. The main problem with comes Eye together in, like a, like a book should. And I think the main problem with Eye in the Sky is that it was it was editorial interference but yeah. Yeah. I, but I will but I will say in this case I think he needed more time in another draft he needed somebody to sit down and say hey dude like I know you're upset at Anne but like chill out, I chill out a little bit I, I like this I like the way this book went yeah, well, even though we have that regular stock we have all the stock characters there we have auto facts that are mentioned con apps we, we have auto facts that con are mentioned. Apps, pre-cogs. Con apps. Yeah, the 
Big dogs, everything aliens. is there. We have a, a time traveling psychic who doesn't do anything. Fuck all. She does. Well, she rescues that one guy. Her, yeah, her job is, <laughs> yeah, her job is really cool. That's she an really interesting short story too. Yeah. 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 If, she, if that had happened. Yeah. The fact that she can like stop accidents and do right? all that. Yeah. And go back it, in time and save people. Yeah. That's, it, that's great. It's but a cool, it has no bearing on the story. She doesn't right. use that power, you know, yeah. to, to further the story. No, she, and yeah, cause she even says, you know, I can't bring Lord Running Clam back when right. he first gets, you know, laser beamed in the hallway, but she is there to, well, you know what? Yeah. yeah but why didn't, you know, why didn't she Chuck get Chuck. shot? Yeah. And she have to go back in time and, you know. That, yeah. She I see what you're saying. She I didn't even turn out to be the, the spy for Bunny. She, you know, she basically served little function other than, you know, the, the very basic tangible things she did for the plot. Okay. Um, okay. All right, David. He did it. He did it. He did that thing I said he yeah. does. Okay. Okay. Well, well no. good for you. Thank you for contributing, but David's done. <laughs> Uh, Apparently, rude. we're moving on. It's rude, David. <laughs> uh, the the imperfect murder ha- um, is suggested on page forty five of the Mariner edition. I think it's hilarious. Legally, I'd stand a reasonable chance of acquittal since a simulacra operated at a distance often functions on its own. Its automatic circuits often take precedence over long range instructions from the remote. Anyhow, it's worth a try. <laughs> It's worth a try. Right? Um, I thought that was hilarious. Everybody's going to know I did it, but they can't prove it. <laughs> right, which has worked out so well so many times. Yeah, and he's such a smart guy, he's going to get away with it. <laughs> right. Um, so the next uh, section that I have highlighted is uh, page eight. He couldn't even lie. No. Every time he tried to lie, he couldn't do it. Any stressful situation, he freaked out. It's just... Yeah, right. you're you're not the type of guy to get away with murder. Sorry. <laughs> right. And so what I thought was funny about that section was that it was absolutely the most imperfect murder. Yeah. <laughs> um and I think Dick was intentionally doing that to be funny. to be funny. Yeah. Um so the next section that I highlighted has is about how the Alfane Council works and I think there's some really cool things on page 83, 89, and um, leadership in this society... Pick one. <laughs> <laughs> leadership in this society here would naturally fall to the paranoids. I like that he makes that uh, concept. There's always tension between the two classes. You see paranoids establishing the ideology. The dominant and emotional theme would be hate. Is this where Mary well, nails... this part, too. Yeah. Is this where Mary nails every aspect of their society? Yeah. Yeah. W- without flaw, without mistake, without any sort of problem whatsoever. Yeah. She just rattles off everything the society well, she does. Had, she had two weeks on an FTL ship to study it on her way oh, there. Oh, boy. So there'd be tension between the two classes, but you see the paranoids establishing the ideology. The dominant emotional theme would be hate. Actually hate going in two directions. The leadership would hate everyone outside of its enclave and would also take for granted that everyone hated it in return. And yeah, and so she does go on to kind of break down everybody and um I thought that was pretty funny. Um and, and it all or interesting stuff. Right. And that's where 
I think PKD is trying to expand some ideas. Whether it was kind of clunky that she it's got very about- clunky. Yeah. I mean, I, I I personally didn't like that section at all because he's actually he's already done all those things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's already been shown. Why tell it? Right. Yeah, I could see that that um, that complaint. I, I did definitely think it was interesting though and worth noting. So mm-hmm. the next thing I got is on page eighty-seven. Uh, we have a funny part. Uh, that we've already talked about a little bit. He had now a supply of stimulants, the slime mold from Cannon Heat presented to him as he started from his con app that morning. So evidently he could work on, or he could count on working all night. Was this PKD, uh, trying to wish something into existence? Yeah, right. Uh, this is how PKD works. And it was just a real subtle line, but it, it, I noticed it. Oh yeah. Uh, that whole, that whole drug thing is all about PKD. Right. And so, you know, I just wanted to mention that because even though we already talked about it a little bit, I think that was, that is a cute little window. Into- yeah, this has got to be the most purple of his, of his stuff ever. I mean, half this book is his life, right. I, I think, especially with the divorce stuff and wanting to get back together with her. Because it doesn't make a lot of sense in the book. Uh, there's no explanations. It's just, I want to do it. And that's real life. But that doesn't really work in a book. As an audience, we don't want to hear a character say, well, I, I love my wife and I no longer want to kill her. And then someone asks why. And him say, oh, I just do. I just do. It doesn't, it doesn't work in, in the, in the novel, you know, in the novel format. All right, now, speaking of purple, (laughs) how about this part? And I loved this. This is on page 92. Here's Ziggy Trotz, a secret agent. Trench coat made of of Uranian mole cricket fur. Hat of Venetian (laughs) wub fuzz pulled down over his forehead. All that. Standing in the rain and some dismal moon. Maybe one of Jupiter's. A familiar sight. (laughs) I I like the the materials and the... The, the clothing all throughout this. The wub fuzz. <laughs> right. There's a couple of those where he describes different clothing and it's hilarious. So the next thing I highlighted was about why the humans wouldn't leave, but we already talked about that. So I don't think we need to go into that. And um, uh, on page 130, I loved the running clam action scene. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, where, and, and this is kind of neat how it's written where, you know, Lord comes in and, and he says, uh, Mr. Rittersdorf, a gentleman is passing along the hall in the direction of your apartment. He is armed and he intends to force you to accompany him. I can't tell who he is or what he wants because he's got rid of, he's got a grid of some sort installed in his brain box linking to shield him from telepaths. Therefore, he's either a military person or a member of security or intelligence police or part of a criminal or traitorous organization. In any case, prepare yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that scene is great. And the fact that... Now read it as Michael Caine. <laughs> yeah, I right. can't do Michael Caine. In his brain box. In his brain box. In his brain box. Yeah. Prepare um, yourself. <laughs> I would go with that voice. I I could do that. And then on the next page, there's a character named Alf Cherrigan, (laughs) which is just... Oh, the dick names are never not amusing to me. But then I like that Running Clam just basically, like, fills up the hallway. (laughs) 
and takes the, the yeah, gun, that's pretty cool. The gunshot, and then of course that ends up with we get all the stuff with the running clam rebirthing, and the whole interesting thing of how they how he turns himself into like a whole clan of him of himself. Well, it's because they collect the spores out of the carpet after he gets dusted in the hallway. Yeah, and then one of them takes the name Lord Running Clam, and then I don't know yeah. what the other ones do for names, but... Um, you think there's somebody out there with a license plate, L-R-D-R-N-G? <laughs> <laughs> Lord Running Clam. Um, I'd laugh pretty hard if that were the case. Yeah, and um, I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but I think there's some interesting things on page 144 where we get some details on the settlements. That's where we really find out, you know... You know, what the, the settlements are like, and we learn a little bit more about Gandhiville and that whole kind of thing that's going on there. And, but so there's some really interesting things there. But, and then there, I really like on page 150, there's some great world building. After leaving, uh, what's that guy's name? Liedaber. Liedaber. Boy, you must have struggled with the names in a canical for Liebowitz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After after leaving Libador, he Liedaber. <laughs> Liedaber, he drove to the single. I said Ledber, but fuck David. He drove to the single shopping center in Gandhi Town, parked before the dome-shaped wooden structure with its peeling paint, its stacks of dented cans, heaps of discarded cardboard cartons littering the entrance and parking area. Here, the Alphorn Alphane traders rid themselves, dumped actually within great masses of seconds. So that is a great description of Gandhi Town. Right. Really well written. Loved that. Page, or on chapter 12, and this would be page 178 of the Mariner edition, one of my, uh, Maj Boom. The Mage Boom. Mage Boom. <laughs> Mage Boom. Mage Boom. Holy shit. <laughs> Mage Boom, the simulacra, says one of my favorite things ever said in a dick novel because... I've been waiting for someone to say this in a dick novel forever. Person Schmershen. <laughs> Does it matter? He was. He's, he's been waiting to, 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 to throw that one out there since we got here. Yeah, right. I, I have two quotes, I have two quotes in there that I, I, I like a, well, one I like a lot and the other one makes me want to kill everything. Uh, do you have them ready? Sure. Well, not really because of my book's over there. All right. So this this is my favorite quote in the whole in the whole damn thing. It, it's very it's a very simple line. It's just insane. The slime mold responded is strictly speaking a legal term. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and what's the other one? Oh, I don't know. Something about something stupid. <laughs> Oh, there was one that you hated. Yeah. Oh, okay. but I, I don't know if I marked that one. I didn't. It was something. It was probably something to do with Chuck being a dumbass. <laughs> there was a lot of that. Yeah. All right, so we do final thoughts, and so then that movie, settles whoop, it. And then movie movie adaptations. <laughs> Let's right. do it. All right, so I'm going to give. Oh, I hate to do this, but I am still going to give it three. Um, Ganymedian slime mold. Well, you up. tried to hate something, David. You tried your hardest, and you failed miserably. I still... The lesson is, never try. Well, here's the thing. I really wanted to give this one all five. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. I just 
because it's not the book that I wanted, but there are lots of things that I did enjoy about reading it, so I can't totally hate it. It's not, it's still better than Cosmic Puppets. Um, <laughs> I mean, that bar is so low. Cosmic yeah, right. Puppets super has low. everything from weird, weird underage stuff to Boo Mountain to, Maybe we're just reading the cosmic puppets yeah, wrong. Uh, oh, one one no, second. The, what what is the uh, politically incorrect stuff? Just so we can. David is better at this than I am. David, just I so we can to you. we can tell Hold our on, listeners wait, and they can wait. know. Hold on. So, David, um, we discussed previously that there were some politically incorrect themes okay. here in Clans of the Alphane Moon. Would you be willing to uh, tell us what those are so the audience could understand better? I just think Talk nailed it. Uh, I just think the the way that the some of these are not even considered mental illnesses anymore. For example, like obsessive compulsive, I think are just, it's just considered, well, I don't even know if it's considered a disorder anymore. I just think it's considered, some of these are considered disabilities. Like I, 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 I'm not necessarily an expert in this because, you know. I'm really surprised David did not once say during this episode, well, you gotta look at the time it was written. <laughs> no. That's true because he, he said he didn't like it. And still gave it three stars. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, David's a good medium between the two of us. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, Wait, I will never like, well, meaning David, I think, balances oh. his opinions better than we do occasionally, but I still 120% hate the Adjustment Bureau. <laughs> well, here's the thing, and the reason why it's- I think a- we, we still gave Cosmic Puppets two stars. Yeah, we gave it two. We were way too kind. Yeah, it maybe deserved less. Um, I There are parts of me that thinks this is a two-star book, but mostly the reason why I think it's a three-star book is I think it still has really good ideas and concepts. I just don't think it delivered. And I think it's a five-star concept with a three-star delivery or execution, in my opinion. So... Gotcha. And that that is negative opinion for me because uh, when I got to the twist or the reveal of what what the concept was, I was like, "Oh shit, this is a great idea. I'm gonna love this." And then by the time it was over, I was like, "No, it was the wrong book. It was the, it was the wrong book, wrong wrong execution." In my opinion, right. I don't think it's one of Piketty's best. And I would actually put this under. You know, a lot of people say. That Vulcan's Hammers is worst or whatever. Like, yeah. I think Vulcan's Hammers is way better than Clans of the Alphane Moon, in my opinion. Ooh, That's I disagree. Take, but... <laughs> I disagree, but I did like Vulcan's Hammer. I mean, I think I might have enjoyed Doctor Futurity more than. Oh God! Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did I? No, <laughs> yes, no, dude. no, Doctor White Knight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That book really is. I mean, you Dr. want to talk about politically, politically incorrect? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, okay, so, uh, Langhorn, what's your, uh, rating? Believe it or not, I was tempted to give this a five, uh, but that ending, and then everything surrounding the ending with the, uh, the change of heart, and the, it just turned pretty dull. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of flaws in this book. I, but I enjoyed the read very much. It, you know, I started reading this three days ago, so, Except for those four pages. It's actually a really smooth read. It went really it, fast. Yeah. It really, it's a smooth read. I mean, I didn't get caught up anywhere. I wasn't bored, uh, which can happen in PKD books. Right, Anthony? Say that Every once in a while? Sorry. Uh, the, uh, you, you can, can get, get bored. bored. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> At what, times what, what, was that code, what was Cody said? The shift F key? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm bored. I'm bored. Well, come on. When we do, when Dick starts doing all the bureaucratic blah, 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 right, blah. But he avoided all that in this well, book. But I he think. did, no, he did it, but he did it in a really interesting way. He did it by first showing us all these different personalities in the board meeting and kind of letting those personalities reflect how they interact with each other. And it didn't feel like two stilted people having a stilted conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You know, the I mean, look at Mindhunter. There's ways to make conversations interesting. Oh, I haven't finished season two yet. I haven't. I haven't. Even I just touched started, that show. but I really yeah. liked episode one. I thought that was a really good episode. Yeah. The, okay. Sorry, this uh, isn't the podcast about Mindhunter. The yeah. Fincher cast. The Finch cast. Uh, the uh, Finching. So the uh, so even though <laughs> even though it's flawed, I really like the the satire of it. I like the the society that he set up. Uh, like you said, there was really good world building. It was an enjoyable read. It was, it had everything. If it hadn't ended with that fucking, let's watch the happy ships come in bullshit, happy ending thing. Mm-hmm. And he had actually he popped his wife. Skill, Dick, it, if, he had, if he had, frontier optimism, if he had popped frontier. his wife, I would have liked this much better. So I'm going to give it four. All right. Four Althane. Antennas. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Out of five. So this is the first Philip K. Dick novel I ever read in my early 20s. And I remembered... So you rated then and now? Then it would have been a five. Yeah. Right. I loved it. I thought it was super cool. I, I was like experiencing all these new ideas that I hadn't experienced before. And I, I love... Just the opening scene when you realize that he's the... Uh, Gabriel Baines is sending his simulacra to investigate the yeah. the boardroom ahead of him to make sure there's no traps. I thought yeah, that right, was right brilliant. at the very beginning. I, I still think amazing. that beginning is is brilliant. Yeah, that totally first chapter. Those, right? Yeah, right. That first chapter is first incredible. <laughs> yeah, oh, dude, I would totally do that. Um, but I don't go on first dates anymore, David, because I'm in a committed relationship. Thank you. Um, <laughs> wait, I lost my train of thought. Wait, there, God d- damn there it. are still dates. I thought it was swipe and fuck. God damn it, you guys threw me off. Okay. <laughs> Early 20s Anthony would have given this a five. Um, rereading it, I struggled in certain ways because there were scenes that I felt, maybe as, as Larry put it, they were necessary, but they weren't the scenes I wanted. So I ended up rereading this with a different eye, right? I've mm-hmm. been writing for the last, seriously, for the last decade. I've had more experience. I've read a lot more. So I just kind of, do that douchey thing that I think all writers do where you start rewriting the story as you're reading it. I know David does it because oh, yeah. he never stops telling me about it. <laughs> uh, it depends on the author and what I'm Well, doing. yeah, if I'm reading something like An America, then I'm just along for the ride. But my point is, is I don't know if all the pieces fit together perfectly for me. And it wasn't necessarily the book I wanted. And I think it's because I think Dick does such a good job with everyone with all the clans on the Alphane moon that I cared so little about what was going on with Chuck Rittersdorf that I yeah, just, you, you really wanted to get back to that story. I, yeah, right? I really wanted to get back to what was going on. I, I felt that way in, in the first couple of chapters, mm-hmm. but then after I got into the written or whatever Rittersdorf Rittersdorf storyline, I, and I felt like it was going to go someplace. So mm-hmm. well, see, it didn't for, bother for me, me as much for me. I, 
But you were reading it a second time. For so me, you already knew what it was. felt like Dick had a really interesting new idea that he then dropped in a typical Dick trope. Right. Storyline. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. It, yes. it felt like here's this really interesting th- territory I haven't explored before. By the way, here's a pissed off husband getting fucked over by his wife. And we've read how many books now, guys? A lot. A lot. A lot. A lot. <laughs> that, that I think has been in almost every book. And, and you know what? We've done nine years of output for, for PKD. Yeah. At this point. That said, I still really liked it. I still felt like this was the smoothest and yeah. like the most fluidly, and that doesn't make sense. I felt like this was the smoothest Dick Reed. I think he was just really feeling it and everything worked for me. There were moments of comedy, moments of action, moments of horror, uh, moments of very insightful commentary. Yeah. So I'm going to give it four pissed off ex-husbands out of five. <laughs> And and let's be let's be honest. I would totally love it if J.G. Ballard had taken this idea and rewritten it, or just a book about a paranoid man using his simulacra to get through life. Yeah, right. So yeah, four pissed off ex husbands <laughs> out of five. No, I, I see. Still write that one. You know, I see what you guys are saying. How the, there's another story here, but I I did like this story that he told. And, uh, th- he did it well. It he, was... he didn't do it in a in a time out of joint way where I got to watch this dude sack potatoes. <laughs> True. Um, I should have read this when we were talking about. Oh, David, that quote is long. Yeah, pack it in or let me <laughs> read it. Um, <laughs> I should have read this when we were talking about the politically incorrect stuff. So feel free to edit this, Larry, if you want to move it into that part. But there was an article in the Guardian. Um, uh, by an author. I'll edit that part where you go, um, uh. <laughs> there was an article in The Guardian by Sandra Newman, who had written a book called The, Co- the Country of Ice Cream Star. I don't know anything. And the, the title of the article was Rambling and Offensive and Unbeatable, Beam Me Up Old School Sci-Fi. And in this... And did you read the article? I read the article. I didn't agree with a lot of it, but <laughs> but there was this quote, and I thought it was funny... In a Wild West era, plots could go anywhere or nowhere. A typical plot development in Philip K. Dick's Clans of the Alphane Moon has a hero crushed by divorce and failure, contemplating suicide in his crappy apartment. At the last moment, he's interrupted by his neighbor, a telepathic slime mold, having rudely flowed under the door, who says, I couldn't help overhearing. Then it, then it offers the man a job and says... It will go find him a replacement wife. Off it goes, and soon a teenage girl arrives at the door. She's completely content to be fixed up with a much older suicidal loser by an alien slime mold. Her breasts are exhaustively described. This takes three pages and is not buoyed by any particular grace or style. It's ridiculous. It's offensive. And it has the effect you simply cannot produce with a book that is well written. Interesting. So, that's... That was somebody's real hot take. Yeah, um, right. But, but, uh, but J.K. Rowling can I, describe the door of a cave for 11 pages, and that's okay. <laughs> well. The entrance of a cave. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree with her that those pages are written really clumsily and terribly, and I don't disagree with what she's saying. Most of the time when he writes about boobs, it is really clumsy. 
You know, yeah. I, I always am like, oh, I mean, come on, Dick man. is a boob guy. <laughs> well, and you know, they but talk it, it doesn't, and he the uh, whole time he was like, you know, Joan Trace doesn't isn't using that fancy nipple dilation. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, but the, it, it doesn't bother me. That's the the difference. I don't feel I, a, I don't get me, offended by it. I'm not offended by it, but for me, it's a little cringy. It's cringy. It is it's cringy. cringy. And um, you know, the Losers Club, which is the a similar podcast to ours about Stephen King, great podcast. Yeah they 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 constantly have to deal with Stephen yeah, King with Stephen writing King's, about boobs. Yeah. yeah, it's in their pound cake section. Yeah, and um, so anyway, so so now we've rated it. So uh, how would we turn this into a movie? I think we've kind of hinted at our feelings on this. At least two thirds of us. Uh, uh, let's start with Larry. Larry, what you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> Yeah, I I would uh I would do it as a movie. <laughs> great, great uh go on. Um, is that it? Starring basically, directed by basically people. I wouldn't I wouldn't really change much is what I'm saying. I like this story. I think it would translate well. You change the would, ending. I would yeah, well that's <laughs> I would probably have him pop the wife, but that would just be my personal preference. <laughs> but the uh I would definitely shorten that that uh, section where it takes place on Earth and extend the the section that takes place on the Moon because that's that's the exciting place, right? That's I would get more into the society, show the society more. But other than that, I, I wouldn't change much with the story. <clears throat> and then, as far as director, uh, um. I don't know, but uh, you don't have to. But uh, <laughs> I'm thinking Michael Caine for Lord Running Clam. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Uh, that's we, an, that's, that's a totally all. original thought. I can't read his thoughts because he has something blocking his brain box. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't uh, good, but it wasn't terrible. <laughs> it was. It was just a thing. You it happened. You wouldn't cast Bobcat Goldthwait as Lord Running Clam. I might oh now. My God. <laughs> I might now. No, you know who I want as Lord Running Clam? Brad Dorif, just doing Chucky. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, he would. He, does he still do? I can't get into his is brain he still box, acting? Andy? What? I haven't seen him in anything recently. Is Brad still- Dorif is living large on that child's play money, man. <laughs> Don't give a fuck. Exorcist three too. He was great he's, in that. He's, he's great in everything. Brad is actually a really good character actor. I feel like people who listen to the show know that we just really enjoy character actors. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> Peter I would hire for life, all baby. character actors, but he would be a great uh, the the paro guy, the paranoid guy. Oh, I got my paracast already. Uh, <laughs> uh, Anthony. So. I'm going to meet Larry in the middle with this because I I'll, I wouldn't adapt it to be the book I wanted. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's true to what Dick wanted to do. I would change the ending, and what I would do is I would build both Chuck Riddersdorf and Mary Riddersdorf as equal characters with equal amount of, of screen time and yeah. character development. Sure. And I would have Mary stay with the clans at the end and Chuck going back to work at the CIA. I don't think I'd have him kill her, but I think having them kind of flip and her realize that this is where she really is mm. more accepted and comfortable, you know, and Chuck is kind of You didn't you didn't like the idea of him forming a a norm clan? No, it's it 
that's dumb. <laughs> that's 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 early society I- ideal idealism where it's like we could all just be normal and it's 2019 and let's all just admit that normal is a stupid term. Right. I and so I would do that and I would focus more too on the different clans and showing how they work and kind of getting into the mindset of these individual characters we've been given, flesh them out and how they're interacting with what's going on with this essential plot, this plot of, you know, the divorce and being killed right. and et cetera, et cetera, the, the murder plot. Um, you guys are going to be fucking shocked who I would cast as the paranoid Gabriel Baines. Uh, Michael, Michael Shannon. Shannon. Tell me I'm wrong. Jeez. Tell me that wouldn't be amazing. Well, I it's not like imagine, it's not who I, it's not who I see. Michael Shannon simulacrum walking a pa- down a hallway all super paranoid while the other Michael Shannon sits and waits. It's awesome. Be he's, quiet. It's my turn to talk to you. He's too big for that. My, too big. Yeah, I can't see him doing the comedy. Michael Shannon <laughs> as my pair. That's my boy. Well, of course, I would put Guy Pierce and everything, but, um, myself, but. Yeah. Um, I don't think I really have a director lined up in mind for, for yeah. this. I, I would almost prefer a no-name director. I, I kind or, of agree with that. Or maybe give a, maybe, I like, I like Ryan Johnson. I thought Looper was great. Um, or maybe. He'd probably write a really good script for this, too. Yeah. Um, so you know, if we, if we turned it down. <laughs> we turned it down. Sorry, Ryan. Jeff, I, I we think, already got I think this it would game. Be, it would be really fun casting all the different rep- clan representatives. Right. Uh, Bunny Hintman, I saw is Danny DeVito. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I don't know who. I would probably make him a little bit younger. I, I would see him at the prime of his career, not so much on the tail end of it. Hmm. And Danny DeVito's a little older, so I'm not. I'm not sure. Maybe a Jack Black or oh yeah, you know Jack Black actually might work pretty well in that in that role. So yeah, Benny Hentman. Yeah, yeah, I agree with David on that one. So David, well, I do have a director. I would do. I would want either a Terry Gilliam type or somebody who is does comedy. I feel like Terry Gilliam would be too future goofy. I want future goofy for Mm. this. See, I actually Mm -hmm. would do future. I I think this one has to be played straight. I would want some future, like retro sci-fi, but I wouldn't want Terry Gilliam levels of it. Yeah, go on. So I'm going for a little bit more of the humor, and I'm also um, I'm going to write the script where where certain people would be like, "Why do they even want to do this if they're going to change it all?" Uh, (laughs) Because I'm going to I'm going to keep the main story, but I'm going to switch the protagonist to being Mary. I'm going to have her be the focus, and I'm going to have. From her perspective of, I'm still going to do the murder plot with the simulacra, but I want to do the humor from the level of where she knows. I would like to write it as she knows her husband's trying to kill her with a simulacra. And that's like part of like what's going on with when she gets this job to go to this colony. And maybe she doesn't. One thing I would change is she might not know as much before she gets there. You mean like everything? Like everything. Right. She even knew her husband was going to try to kill her. Yeah. And so I would either do an Edgar Wright or a Terry Gilliam for directing, mm. but, um. Edgar Wright could work. Yeah. That could work for me. Um, but. Pre baby driver. <laughs> and for. I hate that movie. Casting for Mary Ritterdorf. I really liked Baby Driver. Um, well, you and Jamie Foxx can go fucking live and play house then. 
Uh, that was a weird turn to take for that. <laughs> uh, for Mary Rittersdorf, um, well, you know, there's, I, I wouldn't be super picky, but I might, like, well, if I could get anybody, I'd probably want to do, oh, um, Naomi Watts. Um, and thinking of, um, oh, she's good. Her ability to do comedy, i.e., Mulholland Drive and um hilarious movie. I heard Huckabee's. <laughs> she is funny in the movie because in the first half of Mulholland Drive, and I just recently watched it, and she was very funny in it. Um, so I would do Naomi Watts as Mary Ritterdorf and Guy Pierce as Chuck Ritterdorf, <laughs> of course, because he's my guy. Cool. So I totally disagree with you, but on basically everything you said, but cool. Yeah, well, you know, one of us will get the job. <laughs> oh, I guarantee it's not going to be you on this one. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be Anthony. We all know. Everybody just relax. <laughs> all right. Yeah, unless Ryan Johnson decides to do it because we didn't. So, yeah, that's Clans of the Alphane Moon. I think next we've got... The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch. And I am so excited. Right? On Mars. The harsh climate can make any colonist turn to drugs to escape a dead-end existence, especially when the drug is Candy, which translates its users into the idyllic world of a Barbie-esque character named Perky Pat. When the mysterious Palmer Eldritch arrives with a new drug called Choosy, he offers a more addictive experience, one that might bring the user closer to God. But in a world where everyone is tripping, no one prom- no promises can be taken at face value. Wow. It's five out. It's it, it's it's five Palmer Eldritches out of five for me. It's a fucking yeah. Movie. Alrighty. Well, <laughs> so you gotta amazing. read it again because you thought you thought Clans of the Alphane Moon was perfect. I know, but I'm just excited that we're finally here. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, this is his- to be honest, this is the one that Anthony wanted to do most. Yep. Before we even started doing this the podcast, book, this book rules. From what I remember last year when I read it. Or no, two years ago, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah I, read I, read, it, I read it. <laughs> I read it a long time ago, but I remember. We, we probably it. read it around the same time, but. Yeah. So I mean, anyways. It's, it's at least 20 years. It's more than 20 years. Oh, then you're longer ago than me. I oh, read, really? Yeah, I read it. Well, no, maybe it was 20 years ago because it was Cody who told me to read it. And I believe 03. I think I read it. So, uh Yeah. Uh, Three Stigmata Palmer Eldridge. Can't wait. Uh, keep it. And I forgot to mention, we might have a. Oh, yeah, yeah. But we, we might uh, have. We might, we have, might a... have a special guest to join us for our, a book episode. Yeah. So that will be Sweet. pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah, until then, uh, enjoy our bonus episodes and interviews. We've got a bunch coming out in the near future. Yep. And uh, keep it paranoid. Stay paranoid. And remember, AI is not out to get you. It's just a machine. Yeah. Be paro and shit. Night America.